0: As you read and listen to these scriptures, listen for what it says about the world. The first scripture reading this morning is Psalm 1 and two. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The second scripture reading is John three sixteen through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The third reading is Romans 8, 20 through 25. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, And hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. The word of the Lord.
1: we compassionately respond to the hurts of the world? Why do we try to do justice? Why do we try to serve? Well, we want to certainly make a better world. And we share that desire for a better world with most other people. Christians join with many others in making this world a better place. After all, we have to inhabit this planet together. And uh, we know all things aren't right, and so we're trying to make it better. But how do we, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, view this world and why we do what we do for it and in it? To make it a better world. You know, people even not necessarily of faith say, well, we believe in the goodness of life and the brother and sisterhood of all humanity and the and and of all people and the value of humanity. Well, where do they get that from? Christians, we have a reason for those things. For why we feed the hungry, for why we shelter the homeless, for why we aid the afflicted. We have a spirituality, if you would, of doing justice. We have a clear purpose for our mission. Or let me ask it to you another way. What is your cosmology? Didn't know I had one, Phil. I, uh... <laughs> you know, the world—another word for the world—is cosmos, right? As a matter of fact, the biblical world word—one of the the biblical words for world—is cosmos. And cosmology is just how you view the world. How do we, as Christians, see this world that we live in? How do we view the cosmos, this place? where we live with people and its beauty and its problems. Because God has told us something about this world. We start with three scriptures. The first is Psalm 24, that the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. That's pretty basic. That's pretty plain. The earth belongs to the Lord. And we know from Genesis 1, when the Lord created this world, he stepped back and he looked at it and he said, this is very good. And he has not disowned it, he has not turned his back on it. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it. He owns this place, all the world, what it holds, its contents belongs to him. He has a lot at stake. The world was established by God. But we look around us, we see wars, we see conflicts, and we see storms, and it seems to tell a different story. It seems to say, no, this world belongs to chaos. In the world of the psalmist of David, Psalm 24, the seas and the waters were seen as the places of chaos and danger. They didn't know in the ancient world all we know about the oceans and the seas then. They thought they were just full of evil and and you don't want to go near those places. So when it says the Lord founded the earth on the seas and established it on the rivers, the psalmist is saying that God, who is the creator of order, is also a mighty warrior who subdues the chaos. He's over everything. And then there's that famous verse in John 3.16. We know that. It tells us God so loves the world. God loves the whole cosmos. He doesn't hate it. It says God so loved this cosmos that he gave his one and only son for it. God didn't hope for the best. God didn't annihilate those who don't look to him. He did not pick and choose how his love is going to be spent god lavishly poured out his love in history through jesus christ did it on the whole cosmos the whole cosmos second corinthians 5 tells us god was reconciling the world to himself in christ he didn't push the world away he sought to draw near to the world god entered the world in human flesh he entered our world with all its problems and pain he didn't stay safe in heaven but he came into this place And when we enter someone else's world, however that happens, we model Jesus. When we do it, we join in God's mission in this world. And we say this world belongs to him and it is loved by him. It may be hard for us, it may stain us, it may kill us. The son of God, it killed him coming into this world. But it models the way that God loves us in this world. Remember the definition of mission that we began with in the sermon series two weeks ago? The first sermon in the series, we said, mission is the human translation of God's activity in this world. It's the human translation of God's activity in this world. So... When we translate God's love and compassion and justice through our actions, we are are helping this world see what God is like. We're translating his work. That quote, by the way, came from Kendra Creasy-Dean, who also said, and I love this, as we allow God to show and reveal himself in our own lives, we smuggle divine grace into the world. We are smugglers of divine grace into this world. God's cosmos. Yes, God so loved the world. He gave his only son. Not to condemn it, but to save it. We know John 3.16. Don't forget or skip over John 3.17. God did not give his son to condemn the world, but to save the cosmos. You know, John 3.16 is often interpreted as God wanting to damn everyone straight to hell. We always have to be aware of turning God's act, great act of love, into one of damnation, that is not what it is. The world doesn't need scolding, it needs salvaging. And when we were underneath and sinking, God rescued us and pulled us out. Finally, the third scripture, Romans 8, we hear how the whole creation is waiting in hope to be liberated from its bondage to decay. That's the way the Bible puts it, creation is in bondage to decay. And I think there is plenty of evidence to support that statement. We have gained in scientific and technological knowledge and our problems grow in mass. We can grow more food than ever and yet hunger is greater. Production goes up, poverty does too. Technology makes our lives easier. but... It alienates us from ourselves, and it alienates us from others. We have courts, we have judges, legal systems plenty, but justice seems to be harder to come by. We live longer, and we fear growing old. There are more therapists and hospitals than ever before, yet mental and physical illness are more common. We have more and bigger weapons, and the world is less secure and lives in greater fear. The world is groaning in hurt, and we groan because it hurts too. In decay and bondage, if that's the final word for the world, then we need to be living in despair. But Paul writes in Romans 8, you know what, despair is not the last word for this world. Rather, Christians wait and live in hope because Christians have a unique hope because we believe that this world, again, it belongs to the Lord and And he loves this world. And the end is freedom and the glory of the children of God. We work for a better world because we believe that. And in the end, we know that's what we were made for. Romans 8 tells us the whole creation is groaning as if in the pains of childbirth. Think about that image, childbirth. It's full of groans, it's full of sweat, it's full of blood, it's full of agony. But we know, the woman is going through that, what? Life is on the way. It's coming. When we serve, when we teach, when we heal, when we bind up, when we support, we become midwives to what God is bringing into this world. We become midwives. We help bring his life into the world. I love summers, but they're also a tough time for me because there really isn't any good sports to watch on television. (laughs) At least not the sports that I like, basketball and football. And I watch TV because I'm American. So uh, a couple summers ago, uh, nothing to watch on TV, we discovered Netflix. You know about Netflix? (laughs) This is really something. You can watch movies, and, and, and there's series, and there's documentaries, there's all kinds of things you can watch, and there's no commercials. And uh, there's some fantastic shows on there. And one of the shows we discovered on Netflix is a show out of Britain called, uh, a dramatic series called Call the Midwives. Anybody see Call the Midwives? Yeah. It's, it's about a, a house of nuns, of, of Episcopalian sisters, and their ministry is, is, this is post-World War II in the impoverished east end of London. And their ministry is to be midwives to the poor families and, and, and that live in this area of London. And then there's some other nurses that join them too. And these midwives go from tenement to tenement, just helping women give birth to their children. And um, we thought it was a good show, but you have to be okay with a lot of women screaming, and groaning, and sweating, and writhing. It's intense, and I so admire these actresses. Who, I'm, it's, real, it's like real, and the, and the infants that are, they're real infants, I don't know how they do this, but it is the real thing. Um, Ty, I wouldn't suggest it. Not for you, for others maybe, not for you. Just check with Cardi, let her look at it first. Um, I mean, I tense up when I watch these women in labor. But then a little life comes. This little life comes. and, And almost every time, you know, it happens about two or three times, Nancy just cries. She just cried all summer. Every time a baby is born, she cries. Childbirth is bearable when we know it's coming To know that the groanings of creation will one day open up to the glory of redemption as sons and daughters is not based on rational observation because it doesn't make any sense when you look at it by what, just what we see around us. No, it is claiming a promise of God by faith, saying, no, this is where this is gonna go. The Bible commentator, Jim Edwards said, our present sufferings are not the final cries in an empty universe, but a prelude of joy at the final liberation. So when we go to Kenya, or we go downtown, or we just come alongside a friend in the hospital, keep that in mind. You are a midwife to the hope and the life of God in those places, in someone's life. Because we know this world belongs to God. It is loved by God. It is destined for redemption and freedom. And we do the work and we leave the results to God, how that is going to work out. You know, Jesus did miracles. He did healings. He did amazing things to reverse the effects of evil and death. But there was a lot he didn't do. Our Lord, even Jesus, when he was here, was ministering in hope to a day when it would be different, something yet to come. It's not like he just came and he waved a magic wand and it all went right. He didn't fix everything. He shared the pain, he knew the grief, he wept, he felt the physical agony too. No, this world is not destined for the trash heap. In the Old and New Testaments, God speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, and I don't know how that's all gonna work out, the renewal of all things, how it will take place, but I know God wants us to be a part of it. We live in a big world, the groanings of creation are massive, but every time you help, so many of the things Jackie talked about, family promise or just listening to someone who's hurting or making a sandwich for the homeless or teaching our children about Jesus or any number of other little things, you are translating the heart of God into this world. Mission is not a trip. It is something we do in different ways at different times when God presents the opportunity and opens that door for us it does justice, it ministers compassion. Sometimes it gets on an airplane and a bus and it gives weeks or a month or a few years and sometimes and probably more often, most of the time, it happens in a moment for an hour a day when we maybe just walk across the room or we make that phone call or we go down the street. That's when it happens most, the mission of God. In our lives, Susan Decker, she uh, worships here in the 830 service. She helped me see something new last Sunday when we were talking. Susan insightfully said, God gives us a lot of mini-missions in our lives. Usually it's not one big mission trip. It's a lot of mini-missions that we have all the time that he puts in our way uh, every day. So beware and accept those mini-missions when they come to Eugene Cho is a pastor up in Seattle. He's a fellow graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary, that esteemed institution that has brought forth some of the great minds in our world and some of the great pastors and Christian leaders. <laughs> and, uh, I was reading the annual review last year, which means I must have been bored, because why do you, do you ever read the annual review from your like college or something? But uh, I read it, and I'm glad I did, because Eugene Cho said this. He said, sometimes we are under the impression that God has called us to do great things. But what if God has called us to do simple, mundane, or boring things? Will you still do those with love, faith, and joy? We don't have to wait to get a passport and go to some exotic place to do mission. It is happening all around us. It is the business we are in as Christians. And that is why we work for a better world. Let's pray. Lord, we come to this table now and we bring the world with us. Though it can look like a lousy world, remind us that you are a good God who loves it Desires to restore it. And asks us to be a part of it. We do that in your name. Amen.